0: journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Edel Kazilski Mondays at 1pm for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov, Shavua Tov and welcome to 101.9 High FM. I am Edel Kazilski, and I'm here to do the best thing ever, to learn Torah with you. And I hope you will join me. We started last week learning the book of Exodus, the book of Shmot, and we spoke about the importance of names last week and why there was so much repetition, um, particularly in the first seven verses of Shmot. Um, and now we are going to continue. If you are at home and you are able to pick up a Chumash, Five Books of Moses, then please be my guest. And you're going to turn to chapter one and we are going to learn verse eight. Now, as I'm going to be talking, would love your comment. Um, it's so, so very interesting. We are now going to be understanding how the ex, how the enslavement in Egypt happened, how we landed up becoming slaves. And one of the interesting things that I couldn't help reading is that History repeats itself, and this is really something that, that we know, um, insofar as we have an adage that goes, and I quote it all the time, that whatever happened to our forefathers happens to the sons. And we need to be very, very cognizant of this. It's, it's a, it, it's something that we as the Jewish people have an incredible gift. We have the Torah, and the Torah, Torah comes from the word Hora'ah, which means instruction. And so the Torah is giving us instruction on how to live our daily lives. And it's across the gamut of personal lives, your emotional lives, your physical lives, your spiritual lives. Everything to do with us personally, it also has to do everything to do with us from a national level, from a people level, from a world level. That's the brilliance of learning Torah is that it is an instruction book that gives so much insight on whatever level you want to 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 look at. And now we're going to start learning how the, the, the enslavement in Egypt happened, and you will find it uncanny. And I only can relate back to the last 70, 80, 90 years of history, simply because that is what is documented, and this is what we know best, is if you listen to how the Egyptians started enslaving the Jews and how we landed up in the worst situation ever for 210 years, you will see. The very same things happened when it came to the Holocaust and the uprising of Hitler Yemak and how Jews slowly got um had, had their rights taken away and how eventually you landed up with a Holocaust. And honestly, while we are scholars of the Holocaust and we know much about the Holocaust, We also know that if you go back in history and and you really look at the the comings and goings of the Spanish expulsion of any of the other uprisings and and bad times that we've had in Jewish history, you will see the same thing repeated itself. And it is a lesson. It is something that we really, really need to um, be cognizant of and be aware of because we always say the words never again, but never again must have some practical application to it. So let's start, and uh, as always, love to hear your comments on 34519, or our telegram number is 61 895 So chapter 1, verse 8, Vayakam Melech Hadash al a new king, um, arose, took power over Egypt. Asher Loyada et Yosef, who did not know Joseph. So let's just get some, um, historical context over here. You know, who is the king and when did the subjugation, when did the exile, so to speak, the enslavery of Egypt happen? Well, first, let's just take a step back and remind ourselves that early in the book of Bereshit, in fact, in the book of Genesis, um, I think it's chapter 15, um, Hashem gave a prophecy to Abraham. God gave a prophecy, a prophecy to Abraham and he said, Know for sure that your offspring will be foreigners in a land that is not theirs. Others will enslave them and they will oppress them for four years, So we know what's coming, like Abraham knew already from his time what was happening and when did the subjugation happen? When Joseph died, when a, a new king came up, arose into power in Egypt, Velo Yada et Yosef. He did not know Joseph. Now, just one other interesting thing that I failed to mention last week, when we spoke about the repetition of the brothers and why the brothers' names were repeated many times, the Zohar, which is our Kabbalistic teaching, teaches us that Rabbi Elazar ben Arach said that when the exile of the Israelites began, what happened? It says that the souls of all the Jacob's sons gathered on, on Maratha Machpelah, on the Machpelah cave, and they started crying out to their fathers, the grandfathers, the patriarchs, your children are being enslaved in a harsh nation. Um, and so we are told that that's why right now in the beginning of Exodus it starts with these are the names of the sons of Israel who came with Jacob, meaning they came after their deaths. They came along with Jacob to pray for their children's. Right, so um how did the Egyptians start start subjugating them? Well, firstly, they began with false accusations and they started enacting laws that restricted the rights of the Israelis the Israelis, of the Israelites, of the Jewish people. They began treating them like foreigners. They started stripping them of the rights of citizenship because what was the problem? They were trying to seek methods to control the population. Sounds familiar. Hmm. The year 1933, what started happening? So let's just go and understand who this new king was. This new king that uh, didn't come, you know, that, that didn't know Joseph who came and got power over over Egypt. Well, there's, there's arguments as to who this new king was. Some sages thought that this literally was a new king, meaning that he came from a city far from the Egyptian capital. He had never seen Joseph, nor was he aware of all his good deeds. So he wasn't a hereditary pharaoh. But rather, he usurped the throne of of the previous pharaoh and had taken him by force. That's why he's called a new king. Other rabbis go and explain that pharaoh was, this new king was a pharaoh that was born into Egypt, um, was born in Egypt at the time that Joseph was enslaved. Okay, so he was a little baby. You Remember, Joseph was in his 20s. So when Joseph died, this pharaoh um, came in. So he, he behaved as if he didn't know Joseph, and he was happy to issue harsh decrees. Um, some other rabbis, very interestingly, and this again sounds like almost like American politics, or politics all over the world, actually, quite frankly, is that they said that the Pharaoh was a Pharaoh that knew Joseph. He knew the, the kindness and the goodness that Joseph had done to the Egyptians. But when he came up and says he doesn't, he doesn't know, uh, he doesn't know who Joseph is, it was because he couldn't do, he, he, he had to act in, in an involuntary way. What does that mean? Apparently there was a supreme council, um, in Egypt. Okay? And they came to Pharaoh. And they said, listen, we've looked at it all like, you know, the Supreme Court, we've, we've, we've looked at this, the demographics and we feel that you must find a way to exterminate the Israelites. To which the Pharaoh who knew Joseph says, are you mad? Don't you realize that, that we're eating now because of Joseph? If Joseph didn't predict the, the the terrible famine and on the land and didn't advise us, we would all be dead. So what did the Supreme Court do? They they couldn't convince Pharaoh, and so they decided to vote and take away some of his power. And he kept on resisting, and they kept on doing what they were doing. So this went on three times until, guess what, guys? Pharaoh was virtually impeached. So now he was stripped of his power. He got nervous. He became self-centered. He came back to the Supreme Court and said, I'll do whatever you tell me. And they said, okay, if you do on this condition, we'll restore your kingdom to you. So when the Torah says a new king approach arose, they're saying that Pharaoh took power back again after his initial impeachment. Gosh, does that not sound like news in 2023? Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Okay, so we have Supreme Courts meddling in with the authority of the pharaohs at those times. So whether whether the old pharaoh died and a new one came up, or whether this was a new king that um, usurped the throne from the old pharaoh, or whether it was an impeachment, bottom line, this guy was bad news. Bad news. Let's look in verse 9 and 10 what the sphere now says to the people Yomer el amor he says to his people hine am banay yisrael rav veatzum mimeno look here the children of israel are becoming too many and too strong for us hava nikh hakmalu penirbe hayaki sikrena milchama, venosad gam hu asonenu benel gambanu vaala mina aretz. Let us deal wisely with them. Let's just have an enderba now. Let's talk about it and let's deal wisely, wisely with them. Otherwise, they might increase so much that if there's a war, they might join our enemies and fight against us and go up from the land. Meaning they, they're going to land up like throwing us out completely. They've just become um, politically not very, very good to have. there. just too many of them in the country. So, how did he come to that? Okay, and what is happening here? So, basically, the midrash goes and tells us that um, that 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 Pharaoh, that Pharaoh was saying, "We need to destroy the. We need to destroy the Jews in a way that God, um, that God." will not destroy us, because there is a modus operandi that we know that their God is vengeful, and whatever we do, we will be be punished in the same way, like punishment will fit the crime. So, what way can we destroy the Jews and we are guaranteed that God will not punish us? So they came up with an ingenious idea. Let's drown them. Why? Because this way, they figured, the God of Israel can't bring another flood because he had promised that on, in Genesis after Noach that he will never, ever, ever drown the earth again. So let's go and drown them because we got their God then cannot exact vengeance. So who gave him such interesting advice? We are told that there were three advisors. Now the one we met last week and if you haven't listened to my podcast then go back to Hivem podcast and you can hear our talk last week um I gave a story about Asaph's grandson and how he had to um how he tried to do an uprising against the Egyptians I'm not going to tell the whole story again go and listen to it but one of the people involved was the grandson of the king of Africa at that time, and the grandson's name was Bilam ben Baor. Now, this Bilam was a shady character because he first was aligned with that king in Africa, then he moved and he became allied with this. Tsephel, and when Tseful was um, beaten up, he came and became an advisor to the Pharaoh in Egypt. And along with him, this Bilam. Was another two advisors, one was the, by the name of Eov, Job, and another by the name of Yitro. Okay, now, the, Jethro. Now, these three characters are around all the time, right? We know, we know Bilam, we know Bilam much later as well, as in the past. Okay, Eov we know as that insufferable poor man that God punished forever and ever, Job, and Yitro, as we know Later on you will see that he becomes the father in law of Moses and then becomes the first Geritzedek, the first righteous convert to the Jewish people. But let's go back now to the foundation to the basis. There were three uh three chief advisors, Bilam, Eov, and Yitro. Bilam, Job, and Jethro. Now Bilam. Um since we met and we spoke about him last week, let's talk about him now. He was the one that pressed a lot for the extermination of the Jews, okay and he always pushed for it and even later when he is um, told by King Balak um, to go and curse the Jews, bottom line was his he was always vengeful and always looking to exterminate the Jews. Does the punishment fit the crime? Yes, he does. Because if you go look in the book of Bamidbar, in the book of Numbers, chapter 31, you'll see that Bilam died by the sword. Guys, you can run away and run away and run away, and God will find you. So, while the Egyptians understood very clearly that for every action there is a reaction, and the punishment will fit the crime, and also... The, the reward will, f- will, will, will follow the good deed. You can see over here, Bilam, he eventually died by the sword because he was the most aggressive of them all. He wanted the extermination of the Jewish people. Well, let's talk about Job. Job remained silent. He didn't advise Pharaoh neither good nor bad. He didn't go and say anything. And what happened with him? His punishment was that he would endure horrible suffering. Now, for anybody who knows the book of Job, you can immediately go and say, isn't that contradicting? 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 My teeth today. Is that not contradicting what it says in verse 1? Chapter 1 of Job. It says that that he was a consistent, honest, God-fearing, and avoiding evil. So, what's this all about? Basically, he didn't remain silent. He remained silent, not because he was indifferent. He remained silent because he assumed that he would not gain anything if he went out against it. He thought that any protest on his part would be useless because Bilam was so aggressive, he had convinced Convince Pyro and between the two of them There was no way of changing them And that's why Even though he was consistent, honest, God-fearing And avoiding evil He was still punished and made to suffer great suffering Because He didn't have any guarantee That his arguments would not be accepted And as long as there was The possibility For him to Protest, he should have protested, And maybe if he had protested hard enough. Maybe, maybe. He would have been able to change the tide. So um, that's why he was still punished. And this was this is a lesson for us. Remaining silent in the face of of, of wrongdoing is wrong. You are going to be held accountable. Okay? So you're not as bad as Bilam that actually perpetuates the, 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 the evil. But if you sit and you're seeing something that's, that's completely wrong, that's unethical, that's immoral, that is, that is, that is outright breaking of the law and you say nothing because you figure, who am I? You're still in for the high jump. Another opinion, by the way, said that it wasn't that he was quiet. He knew that Pharaoh wanted to kill the Israelites immediately, and he spoke up and said, "Why kill them? Why not take their wealth in their homes and make them slaves?" And that was why he was punished by God, and he lost all his property. Okay, and he suffered the worst torment because he did have a place to uh, to, to 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 play in the destruction of the Jews. And so again, mido keneged nothing goes. Untouched. And I actually was thinking about it just the other day, I was dealing with a, a, a dispute, and I was just looking at one side that was acting in a very aggressive, immoral uh, way with absolutely no compassion, no understanding, and just thinking that whilst one can look at it and, and look at the merits and, and see what's going on, eventually there is going to be retribution Um, And that retribution has to be left up to God because you cannot go and do anything wrong without receiving, being on the receiving end of it. And vice versa, vice versa. Any good that you do remains forever and ever and ever, and you do get uh, recompense for it in a hugely massive, um, massive, massive way. So um, that was Job. Now, who was the only one that spoke out against the injustices that Pharaoh was advocating? None other than Jethro. Yitro. He kept on protesting and protesting and protest, protesting until he was forced to flee. Why? Because, because of his strong opposition to what he believed Pharaoh wanted to do, and it really it was just... It, it was genocide that he was trying to do. Um, he understood that Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And so what did Jethro do? Yitro, he ran to Midian, um, where he remained there for many years. And you will see later on, as we go through the Khumash, you'll see that Moses, when he has to run away from Pharaoh, he actually finds himself in the fields of Midian. And, in fact, he marries one of Jethro's daughters, um and um he becomes, Jethro becomes his father-in-law. Right. So, basically, um, we're also told that one of the things that had happened was that Yitro was an advisor to the king. And when Pharaoh died or the old Pharaoh moved out, what happened was, is that the law of the land was that all decrees issued by that particular leader became annulled, automatically annulled and the new pharaoh would be able and would be allowed to do their own decrees, and that's really what happened. Have we not seen this again um across the world? When new governments come in, new leaders come in, and it doesn't matter what the old regime said, for good and for bad, the new one has a right to promulgate new laws. So when this new pharaoh came in, Um, Jethro was, because he was such a wise scholar and he was known a lot for um, his lawmaking in fact he helps Moses much later um, on how to deliberate court cases in the Jewish people he lands up um, fighting against it and he has to run away now we've spoken a lot about what happens when you do something wrong that for every action there is a reaction, and that the, the 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 punishment will fit the crime, but the vice versa. So what was the vice versa for him? Because he stood up to Pharaoh, and he 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 fought against the evil decrees. God rewarded Jethro by making his descendants members of the great Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the supreme court of the Jewish people. There were there were seventy of them. And they deliberated on the laws of the land. So now, we've got Bilam going, "Yes, exterminate them, Job being quiet, and Jethro having to run away. The modus operandi of how um, Pharaoh wanted to go and enslave the Jews were through three ways. They wanted number one to enslave them through occult powers to use magic. And Bilam was the king of magic, and he always was looking and throwing his bones and humming and hooing and, you know, determining. He did it his whole life. He did it with the king of, of Africa. He did it with Seppo. He does it with Paro, and I do, later on he'll do it with, with with Balak. So they tried with occult powers. They decided to be physically brutal there was a lot of physical brutality and then there of course was also a lot of psychological warfare so um we are told that the, the 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 occult methods for harming the jews was primarily in the respons- was the responsibility of billam now how did they go about, and what did they do to the Jews to get them to be enslaved. And again, lesson, history lesson, 101. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over time. Just like in 1933, we get a despot coming into power um, by the name of Hitler, Yermach and initially he's about making uh, Germany great and making... Plays great, and he's talking about things, and he's getting everybody patriotic, and as time went by for anybody, and I read a lot of Holocaust books, you know, you ask yourselves how did the Jews allow themselves to be put in insane places like the ghettos? How did they allow themselves to do, get, get themselves into, where, in, in, into the, the, the problems um, that came about? And it simply was that, first of all, people didn't believe. People thought sanity would prevail. People thought, OK, all right, so they're a little bit crazy now and they've enacted this law or that law. OK, I'll just wear a yellow armband. I'll do this. I'll do that. And despite the the outcry of various Jews, and they really, really were in the minority, the majority of them were just patriotic and they never, ever would be, never would believe that a country and a population would turn turn around. And 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 become the most despicable murderers um, that we have seen in modern times. So that's really what happened with the Jews. So let's look in verse eleven. V'asimu alav sare m'sis leman anoto besivlotam. Here the Egyptians appointed slave drivers over them to crush their spirits with hard labor. Vayiven are m'skonot lepharaoh. The, the Israelites built storage cities for Paro. It's Pitom at Ramses. Pitom and Ramses. Those are the famous uh, storage houses that we heard about initially when Joseph was gathering food. So they brought people and they brought taskmasters and told them to start building Pitom and Ramses. But it wasn't exactly that. There was a whole lot of stuff before We're going to hear about it just after the break. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So how did it all begin? We are told that the Egyptians began by appointing tax collectors, okay, and that the Jews would have to pay a specific tax. Sound familiar again? Okay, so how did they start having to pay tax? their first tribute, their first uh, patriotic uh, way of uh, paying tax to uh, Pharaoh was to assist in fortifying Pitom and Ramses as supply centers for Pharaoh. Now, as I said, the cities had already been built as storage depots, But they could not be used. Why? Because they had not been fortified against invaders. So they were ordered to build walls around these cities and to fortify them. And the way they were enticed was absolutely incredible. Again, imagine 1933, our time. Pharaoh came out and he said, I'm going to show you how to form the bricks. And he formed the first mold. And in fact, afterwards it said he hung this mold around his neck, um, and he, it was like a symbol that, well, if Pharaoh comes, and this is also super duper patriotic, and if even he comes to build bricks, then hey, let's just show them that we're on his side, rah, 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 rah. So, number one, he put it on his neck and he got them all excited and all, all patriotic. Number two, he wanted, he was giving a subliminal message that, listen, if I, Pharaoh, could go do what do this work, then certainly nobody must come complain and claim deferment because this work was beneath your dignity, because I, Pharaoh, myself, I've dirtied my hands. Okay? So, because Pharaoh came and he initiated this incredible building project, rah, 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 no one could find a way to be excused. Now, if you look at the word that talks about the storage cities, it says, vayiven are Miskanot, the pharaoh, they built storage cities for pharaoh. Now the word Miskanot has a few explanations. Miskanot can come to the word Sakana. Sakana means dangers. Why was it dangerous? Because the walls of these cities were so high that building them was dangerous work. One, for example, one 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 could be killed by falling from the wall. Or have a brick fall on his head. It was super dangerous. It wasn't like the easiest work. The second thing is, uh, the word miskanot comes from the word misken. You know, today in um, colloquial terms, if you want to go, Ach, shame man, he's such a misken. Misken, okay, or miskenah. in never shame man, like poor person. So what the Torah is teaching us is that engaging in this type of building Ruined a person. He thought he it just was a small job. In fact, landed up to be something that was completely big. And never, shame. He got involved in something that messed up his entire life. Now, you could ask the question, if it was in the time of Joseph and Petum and Ramses were storehouses for the food, Surely Joseph would have had a sense to fortify it against invaders because that was a hot spot, right, when there's a famine and people are hungry. We know that people act irrationally and will start banging down doors, stealing from convenience stores, stealing from everywhere because they're, they're, they're hungry. Surely Joseph would have built fortified walls against invaders in his time. What's this now that there were no walls? So we're told in the Midrash, interestingly, that there were walls, but when Joseph, and Joseph had built them, but when there was the whole episode with the brothers, that Joseph attempted to hold Benjamin, we read there that Yehuda let out a cry. And it says that the sound of Yehuda's voice was so loud, he screamed so loudly, he destroyed these cities. And as reparation now, Pharaoh was ordering the Israelites to rebuild them. But there was an issue because, number one, Egyptians made them use inferior materials. Secondly, the clay in Egypt is very weak. And so as soon as they began building one section, the previous section would collapse. Other Mephorashim, other uh, um, explanations are giving that in fact God caused earthquakes. To, to to happen every so often, and so here we have two fairly small storage city walls that need to be built, but as fast as they built, the world, the the work was destroyed through inferior quality, through earthquakes, through the bad clay. It was terrible. It was senseless work. Now, here's the psychological warfare. So we first have them being tried to be subjugated by occult powers, by Bilam throwing his bones and trying to put all sorts of curses, we have the physical brutality that happened, and we're going to speak more about the physical brutality soon. But now here you can see the psychological warfare. One of the most destructive things for the human mind, for a human being, is to do backbreaking work that absolutely has no end or that doesn't have a result or that doesn't eventually come to something. You know, how many times you get frustrated and say, I, I'm not doing this, I like I get nowhere, and it's just absolutely frustrating. Well, can you just imagine the Israelites trying to be patriotic, trying to do what they need to do to please Pharaoh, and it comes to naught. But meantime, back at the ranch, verse 12 of chapter 1, the nu anuoto, the more the Egyptians oppressed the Jews, Pen Yerbe, the more they increased in number, the Cain Yifrots, and the more they spread, the Yakutsu Bipnei Bnei Israel, and the Egyptians became fearful of the Jewish people. So it was like a a quid pro quo, the more they made things difficult, the more they, um, the Egyptians tried to break their spirits through harsh labor and to decrease their number, the more they increased. And so the end of this scenario was the words veyakutsu. They began to despair from kots. They began to despair because the Jews were like, again, playing on the word veyakutsu, kotsim. there were thorns in their eyes. I think we have a minute or so more to go one more verse and to understand how hard it was. So what did they do? They made them do back-breaking work. So how were they able to control, control take control of the Egyptians? As we spoke, they first made the work voluntary. And as time went by, they became more and more. And we look at the word perach. Okay, that they, they had to do work. Befarech. Backbreaking work. So, Farah comes from the word perach, a soft mouth, which is, this is where we learn that initially it was all a big talk about being patriotic and about Pharaoh um, coming and, 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 and digging and laying the, the foundations and whatever. So, on the first day, the Israelites came out, watched this whole fanfare, said, oh no, 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 let, let us help and let us even show that You know, we're really super patriotic. Let's really put in all our effort and see how much we can do. And what happened was the Israelites made twice as many bricks as the Egyptians. What they didn't know was the Israelites had accountants there. They were keeping a careful account of how many bricks each man made or laid. And so as the time progressed and a little short while later, the accountants set that as their daily quota. Then they had the, the overseers, the taskmasters, right? They were there to ensure that um, they do their work. So suddenly, all of a sudden, okay, the Jews found themselves in a really terrible situation. This is 101.9 High FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And finally, chapter verse fourteen. They embittered their lives with harsh labor, with mortar and with bricks, and with all kinds of work in the field. All the work they made to them was backbreaking. Again, we have the backbreaking work. By the way, this verse is quoted in the Haggadah. It's a very, very famous work of how they embittered us and how they made things difficult. We were told that they forced them to do work in the fields. They had to plow, they had to sow, they had to spread fertilizer, they had to dig ditches. There was other hard labor. There were 24-hour shifts, and also the women were, were, were expected to work, and many times they swapped roles. Women were forced to do men's work, and men had to do women's work. So we had men working a whole day, then coming home and cooking, baking, washing, sweeping, and then the woman would have to go and do plowing, hewing, lumbering, and building. Um, And as we said, the word farach um, also means to easily crumble, and the the, the clay, the bricks that they used would would collapse. So farach also means to crush. And so systematically they were crushing the body of the Jews, and they were breaking their spirits. The last thing that I just want to bring to your account, that despite all of that, the Jews rallied together, they put in their best effort, and despite all of this still, the women were falling pregnant with six children at a time, they were giving birth in fields, and they were being miraculously sustained, the children, and the workforce just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And we will see in the next episode that again Pharaoh then has to do something with the children that are being born, because they cannot they cannot find a way to break the Israelites back. But that's for another story. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed yourself as much as I did spending this valuable um, hour with you. I wish you all a shavuatov a wonderful week ahead and I will speak to you again soon. This is 101.9 High FM.